Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. My mother-in-law came in and asked the question, where are all the men? The fact that I was in the room when she asked the question (laughs) gives you some, some hint as to how I felt in that moment. It was the first Thanksgiving I'd gone home with my wife, Desi, and we were at her small town in Kansas on the farm. I I knew that I didn't have a lot in common with the men in her family, right? Like, she grew up, farmer's daughter, driving combines, raising pigs, the whole thing. It's not how I grew up. After Thanksgiving, they had this uh, tradition, all the men would go out and go hunting after Thanksgiving dinner. Nobody told me that. Wasn't invited, didn't get the heads up. I walk in, everyone's wearing flannel, like that's the uniform for the day. That's not what I was wearing. I grew up being taught on Thanksgiving, you dress up a little bit. So when I walked in, I heard somebody make a comment about my blouse behind my back and (laughs) feeling a little bit out of place. After lunch, the men in the family grabbed their guns, they went out hunting. I was left in the house. The women were in the kitchen making blackberry cobbler and I just went to hang out. And when I was in the kitchen, my mother-in-law came in from the other room and said, where are all the men? And then one of my wife's aunts said, all the men are outside. I'm like, no, they're not. I'm, I'm right, I'm right here. I mean, just make a little bit of an effort. All the men, where are all the men? I, I have a message this morning that's for all the men, all of them, right? Like you may be a hunting, flannel wearing guy. You, you might keep a can of deer urine spray next to your can of Dracar, like that might be you. Or, or you might be like an avid indoorsman that has an impressive Pinterest page. It's for you, like it's for, it's for all the men because when God creates the world, he gives men an assignment, he gives men a purpose. And, and so I wanna talk to men about that today, especially focused and applying this to fathers. You might think that a sermon that talks through the potential impact and influence of dads would be an easy enough sermon to preach, meaning that it's one that we could all agree on, but I would just tell you that this sermon feels a little harder to preach to me today than it would have 15 years ago for two reasons. One, I'm a father now. I was 15 years ago, but I didn't know what I didn't know 15 years ago. And so a sermon like this, is it's much easier to preach about hypothetically Right, it's much easier to preach when you haven't had four teenagers. And and so, yeah, 15 years ago, I could talk to you about all the ways a father should be, and in my mind, that's the kind of father I was gonna be, and yet, here's what I would say. My youngest graduated from high school last month, and so, yeah, you can clap for that. (laughs) Maybe he's here, I don't know. uh, He graduated from high school last month, and. My wife and I are in this season where we're becoming empty nesters, which we're really excited about. And yet I would also tell you that in this season, I'm also more aware, maybe than ever before, of things I wish I would have done differently. And some of you get this, right? Like in this season, you just look back with a certain amount of regret. Moments that you missed, opportunities that you lost, you were more distracted than you meant to be, you had good intentions and it just never quite panned out. And so I'm, I'm a little more aware of that than I have been in the past. And so my kids, all four of my kids will listen to this sermon and they'll send me messages today. 
you know, cards or, you know, for honest, probably text messages, but that's fine. And they'll, they'll encourage me as a dad, but I know the truth. I just know there's a lot I wish I would have done differently. The other reason this sermon is a little bit harder to preach now than it would have been 15 years ago is that it's difficult to talk on the role of father these days because you can't really assume anything. Here's what I mean by that. When cultural ideology says that that gender or gender roles are just a social construct and, and suddenly we find ourselves in this world where simple and obvious truths can no longer be presumed. It, it makes it hard to talk about being a father if you don't begin with the premise that only men can be fathers. Does that make sense? And, and so as we talk about this, I wanna start in Genesis because God in Genesis makes it clear that he created the world a certain way Nothing political about what we read in Genesis. Politics didn't even exist at the time. We just read about what God had in mind when he created the world. We read about his way of things working and he introduces us to men and to women and he gives men an assignment. And to understand the assignment that we have as fathers, we have to, we have to go back to the beginning and see what God's purpose was for man. So Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so there are these two things, the very beginning of the Bible, that is said of all human beings. One thing that's true of everyone, everywhere, throughout all of history. You're made in the image of God, and you've been made male or female. These are the two things declared of humans from the very beginning. And so it probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise then that these are the two ideas, the two truths that can sometimes feel under attack, where there can sometimes be a lot of confusion. And so just to be very clear, what God ordained from the beginning, first that everyone everywhere for all time made in his image. That means that everyone has intrinsic value and worth at the point of birth, everyone. It doesn't matter how much different that one person might be than you, they are image bearers of God. Doesn't matter what their heritage might be or their apparent appearance might be, their preferences or their politics. Every time you look at someone, no matter who they are, you are looking at an image bearer of God. And that changes the love that we have. It changes the respect, the compassion we have. It gives us a humility in recognizing that everyone everywhere is an image bearer of God. And then the second thing that's just made clear in Genesis 1:27 is that he made them male and female. And then what does God say at this point in creation? He says, ah, oh, it's very good. It's very good. He looks at what he has made and says, it's very good. And so we have thousands and thousands of students and kids going to camp this summer. And these are things that we teach. Listen, you are an image bearer of God. That's who you are. God has made you male or female, and he has said of you, beautiful. It's very good, it's very good. And so from the beginning, this is declared, and Jesus in Matthew 19 is asked this fairly controversial question about men and women, about marriage and divorce. And he's asked it by the political leaders, the religious leaders of the day who are trying to trap Jesus. Really, what they're trying to do is get Jesus canceled with the question, that's what they're trying to do. And Jesus responds in Matthew 19 by quoting Genesis 1.27. He says, haven't you heard? Have you not read? Well, yeah, they had heard it. 
They'd read it, they'd memorized it when they were five years old, this verse about God and how he designed creation. And yet, they had forgotten and they needed to be reminded. And so instead of engaging in the debate, Jesus says, let me just take you back to the beginning. Here was God's intention at creation. Genesis chapter two then, Adam as the man is given an assignment. It's an assignment that's different than Eve as the woman. He's given a role to play. And in Genesis chapter two, God says, look, this is the way I want things to work. And he makes Adam responsible. He says, Adam, you're responsible for my creation. You're responsible for the garden that you live in. So God creates it and says, now Adam, I'm, I'm, I'm making you responsible for it. Genesis chapter two, verse 15. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. My friend Brant Hansen has uh, written a book I'd recommend to you men. It's called The Men We Need. And men, if you're not much on reading, then listen to the audio version. But he points to this uh, passage in Genesis and he explains that Adam as the man is given a title and the title is keeper of the garden. Keeper of the garden. And the word in Hebrew here for keeper is shamar and it could be translated a number of different ways. Watcher of the garden, protector, protector of the garden, cultivator of the garden. Adam, as a man, you have a responsibility. You're the keeper, protector, you're the watcher, you're the cultivator of the garden. This is the way that God wants things to work. That man would be responsible for the garden God has entrusted him with. Garden, a gardener is a protector. Protects from the weeds that might grow up and choke out the plants and the trees. A gardener protects from the predators that might come in and trample the plants or eat the, the leaves. And this is God's plan for men, specifically fathers, to be protectors. I think most men instinctively have that within them, but we as men can often settle for some pseudo version of it, some fake version of it. There's something about like um, playing a war video game or watching an action movie. We can be laying on the couch, we're not really doing anything, but it somehow satisfies in this cheap way what we were actually created for, to be a protector. And when a, a man is the opposite of protector, it becomes all kinds of uh, toxic. It just becomes really damaging when the, when the protector becomes the predator. Oh, so much damage. When the pr protector is just passive, so much dysfunction. We have been made to be protectors, keepers of the garden. I remember a number of years ago getting a, an especially hateful email uh, from someone I didn't know. And it was hateful enough that it didn't bother me too much. Like sometimes if it's over the top, it's a little bit like, oh, that's a you problem, right? And, and so they, it, the guy sent it to me, but yet I knew from experience that it's not good to just internalize these things. You need to share it, share it with other people. And so I, I forwarded it to my dad so that he could read it, help me keep perspective. Uh, he'd been in leadership all of his life. I thought, oh, he'll understand this. And so I forwarded it to him. And then 10 minutes later, I get a message from him, from my dad. Actually, he was forwarding me, my dad was forwarding me the email that he had already sent to the other guy in response. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not what I was going for. <laughs> like, it was a little embarrassing. I didn't really want my dad showing up at the playground and 
but he, he wrote this at the top of the message that he forwarded to me. It just said, sorry, son, I couldn't help myself. I get that as a dad. Like, I know I shouldn't, but it's just this instinct within me that wants to, wants to protect. And I think as, as men, we hear protector, and, and there's part of us that immediately resonates with it, but we tend to think more in terms of like brave heart, protector. Like, give me a sword, let me fight for the people I love, been entrusted with. But understand that protector these days Protector these days may mean coming home from work and checking your teenager's social media, even though it drives them nuts, and frankly, it's kind of a pain for you to do. But you need to know what's happening in their lives. You need to know what's happening in the garden. Protector these days may mean refusing to let your middle schooler have Snapchat, TikTok, even though all the other middle schoolers seem to have them. And the middle schoolers who are sitting here right now are so frustrated with me. Like, oh, really? I come to church on Father's Day and this is... Protector these days may mean keeping a filter on the devices of the home, even though it's inconvenient. Protector these days may mean working an extra job to pay the bills because you're protecting your family from poverty, from hunger, from uncertainty. Protection may mean preparing and discipling. It most certainly means preparing and discipling your child so your child can be ready to face the threats and dangers when you're not around. It means discipling them now so they can resist the cultural indoctrination that they're going to have to deal with later. Protection means guarding your own hearts and your own eyes so that you can lead from a place of purity. Protection means having, maybe, means having a direct conversation with the boy that your daughter has been dating. It can mean that. When my middle daughter Morgan started dating uh, the man that she's now married to, she knew that he would need to have a, a conversation with me. And so he knew that too. And so one day he came in. I, I love these conversations. They're, they're full of awkward silence that I, I've come to enjoy. And, and so <laughs> one day he comes into the house and instead of saying, hey, can I talk to you? He says to my wife and I, he says to Desiree and I, he says, can I talk to both of you? And I'm like, oh. Usually, in my mind, I'm like, usually that's just man-to-man conversation, but that's fine. You know, that's all, it's all good. And so he sits down with me and, and my wife, and I launch into my talk. Hey, buddy, let me remind you that when, when you're dating my daughter, you're not just dating my daughter, but you're also, let's be honest, likely dating someone else's wife because there's very little chance that she's gonna marry you. And like, that's... <laughs> That's a pretty good line. You can use it if you want to. So I deliver that line, and my wife says, interrupts, and says, Kyle, that's so mean. Why would you say that? And turns to him and says, I'm so sorry. That wasn't very nice. I'm like, oh, you are ruining this moment for me. And sometimes protection means you're not always nice, you can still be kind. And, and she was right, they did get married and I do love them, but protection can look different these days. A gardener is also called to be the keeper or the cultivator, consistently caring for the plants, making sure that they receive water and nutrients as needed. I, I Googled the question because I certainly didn't know the answer um, intuitively. I Googled the question, what makes a great gardener? And the number one answer was patience. I thought that was helpful. Patience. 
that, okay, today I'm going to plant and I'm going to water, even though I know I won't see a harvest maybe for a long time into the future. Galatians 6.9 puts it this way, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the right time or at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And maybe that's a word that some of you fathers need to hear today. Don't give up. Just day in and day out, keep cultivating, keep nurturing. It's Justin reading Bible stories to his son before his son can even speak. It's Eric singing worship songs in the car with his kids while running carpool. It's Jay kneeling down beside his son's bed every night to pray over him. It's Ronnie recording prayers and texting them to his teenage daughter. It's John taking a week off work to go on a mission trip with his girl. It's Chris turning down a promotion at work, even though it means not making as much money so he won't have to travel and he can help coach his son's baseball team. It's Matt, a former college football player who sees a fatherless boy who lives down the road in the neighborhood and grabs a a football and asks the boy if he wants to play catch in the front yard. I just wanna challenge the men to just continue being cultivators, just doing the daily work. I wanna challenge every dad in here to read through a five-day Bible reading plan that we've uh, put together. My dad worked with some of our staff and put this together. If you go to the YouVersion uh, Bible app or you can scan the QR code, um, it just will take you fathers on this five-day Bible reading plan I would love to encourage you to do. Uh, my, my challenge for his fathers is to pray every day for your kids, every single day. One image of a father would be that of a priest and in scripture, a priest was someone who talks to God about the people and talks to people about God. So in the family context, a priest is someone who talks to his family, talks to his kids about God and, and talks to God about his kids. Be that role as a keeper of the garden. I wanna challenge you uh, husbands or for you men who one day hope to be husbands to come every weekend, the next four weekends as we go through this marriage series, but work at it. A good gardener puts in the work. Adam's role was to be the keeper, the protector of the garden, but in chapter three, we read that there's a snake in the garden and Satan comes to tempt Eve to disobey God. God had given them only one command, don't eat of this tree, one tree. Verse six says, when the woman saw that the fruit of that tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she also gave some to her, her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Eve takes a bite of this fruit and it would seem that at that point sin enters the world, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Romans 5.12 says, sin entered the world through one man. It doesn't say through one woman. Why? Even though Eve took the first bite, Adam was the one responsible for the garden. Adam was the one who should have seen the snake. Adam was the one who should have warned of danger. Adam was the one who should have said something or done something. He's the one who's held responsible. Genesis chapter three, verse six, look at it again. She also gave some to her husband who was on his phone. Like that's, that's how I read this. He was with her, but he's disengaged. He, he was with her, but he's not paying attention. Doesn't seem to be aware of some of the threats that are taking place around him. But he's just there. He's not doing anything, but that's the problem. He's not doing anything, which is the opposite of what has been given as a responsibility to the keeper of the garden. 
And I know there can be a fair amount of discouragement these days, and, and, and maybe you look around, and you think, okay, well, where are, are the men like this? Where are all the men? The men who have the courage to fight for the hearts of their wives and children, the protectors, the watchers, the, the keepers of the garden. And I know that some of you are in environments where you don't get to see men like this, and maybe some of you have grown up in places where you saw the opposite of men like this, and your heart's just kind of hard to the whole idea of it. But I'll just tell you, I, I, I spend time around a lot of these kinds of men. They're not perfect, they are broken like me. But they are passionate, and they are intentional, and they are purposeful, and they are accountable. And when they fall down, they get back up, and they're gonna fight for the hearts of their wives and their kids, men like Brian and Greg and Mark and Michael and Murphy and Heath and James and Justin and Bryson and Matt and Eddie and Neil and Lucas and Carl, men like Harrison and Carrie and Brad and Corey and Patrick and, and Taylor and, and Byron and Chris and Tim and Steve and Jason and Brad and Doug and John and Tony and Ronnie and, and Brian and Eric and Render and Sam and Thomas and Matt and Brent like Trevor and Vince and Jeff and Kyle and Will and Wes and, and the list just goes on. Not perfect men, but men who I know would give their lives for this. And I wanna challenge our men. I wanna speak courage into the hearts of our men. Embrace your role as keeper of the garden, as protector, as watcher, God holds Adam responsible. Genesis three, verse nine, the Lord called to the man. Doesn't say that the Lord called to them or the Lord called to the woman. He called to the man and he said to the man, where are you? Where are you? This isn't the plan. This isn't the way it was supposed to look. Where, where are you? And Adam finally speaks, but instead of taking responsibility, he does what some men will try to do in hearing this. He just blames his wife. Verse 11, God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, that woman, <laughs> that woman that you put here with me, remember this wasn't even my idea. That was, this was your idea. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And so what he does here is he, he, he hides because he's embarrassed and he feels shame. The question is then, what happens next? And up to this point, Adam's story is the story of every man and every father I know. It is my story. I want so much, I want so much to be a keeper of the garden to be a protector and a cultivator. I, I want so much to get this right. My intentions are so right, but then sin. And I'm inconsistent and I'm unintentional and sometimes I'm passive and oftentimes I'm prideful. And then it just becomes clear that my way isn't working. And now, and now it's regrets and it's guilt and shame and lots of hiding, lots of hiding. And then what? What happens next? See, on this Father's Day, we celebrate that because of Jesus, we don't stay in hiding. We don't live in shame. 
We don't have to live in the cycle of shame and blame. We, we don't have to do that anymore. We can be set free. We can come out of hiding and we can embrace our role by the grace of God through Jesus as keepers of the garden. And so I wanna end this message by inviting my dad, Ken, to come out and share some of his story. I'm super thankful for my dad. I, I'm thankful for his integrity. I'm thankful for his humility. He is a cultivator. He is a protector. But I've asked him to share a little bit about his dad, my grandpa, and how he responded when he realized his way wasn't working. So would you please welcome my dad, Ken Eidelman. Well, I for one am really glad we celebrate Father's Day in the life of our church. And it's not entirely because I'm the father of three and the grandfather of 11, and as of eight months ago, a great-grandfather of one. It's much bigger than that. It's because I am convicted about the paramount importance of godly men, fathers, leading Christ-centered families in this generation to spiritually impact generations yet to come. It may be the most vital component for substantive spiritual revival in our nation. My own father, Kenneth Eidelman Sr., went to heaven in 2011 at the age of 94. And Kyle and I and my two sons-in-law actually conducted his funeral celebration. And right now, I'm thinking about my dad's life and how well it fits with the theme of our sermon series, When Your Way Isn't Working. Dad was the youngest of four boys, raised in a little village in central Illinois. His father, my grandfather, Lee Eidelman, was a section gang foreman for the Illinois Central Railroad. He ran a crew that employed all four of his sons, and they were all four men's men, if you know what I mean. They worked hard during the Great Depression years, swinging picks and sledgehammers eight to ten hours a day, six days a week, carrying heavy railroad ties and lifting and securing iron rails in place, physically demanding work for a little over a dollar a day. Dad and mother married as teenagers and immediately had two little ones in succession, my older sister and my older brother. So life in those days was mostly backbreaking outside work, low pay, cigarettes, the local tavern on Friday night, limited prospects and a growing family without any Christian friends, strong church ties, or much of a family life. It didn't take my dad long to conclude that his way wasn't working. So he initiated a change, a literal new way of working. He learned Morse code so that he could work indoors in an office first as an operator and later as a train dispatcher. Think air traffic controller, only for trains. And he made that intentional change, and it produced improved health for him. And it produced 
more economic security for the family. But as we all know, good health and a more manageable work schedule and improved finances that not, does not necessarily equate to abundant life. There were still relational struggles. There were flashes of anger, bad language, arguments about money, only shallow conversations about the daily routine of life and living. I would learn that my mother had several miscarriages before I and my younger brother were born. So for the first 20 plus of their 76 years together, my mother and dad had pretty much settled. No talks of feelings, no apologies for offenses, little warmth, few if any professions of love, no Christian music, no bedtime Bible stories or prayers, no counsel about the things that matter most. Church attendance was confined to Christmas and Easter only. But I have a vivid memory of the night that that changed, the night when my father initiated another, much more substantive change, a new way our family would begin working. It was a Tuesday night in February of 1957. A pastor and an elder from the local Christian church knocked on our door. And although they were not expected, they were invited in and they sat with my folks at the dining room table. I was sitting on the floor a few feet away, pretending to be busy, but I was curious and I listened. And for the first time, I overheard the gospel as it was being presented to my parents. And I noticed the expressions on their faces, pleasant, but serious, as they heard about the unconditional love of God. They heard about the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. They heard about the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. The work of the Holy Spirit to conform us to the likeness of Jesus more with the passing of time. And I saw the nods of agreement. I saw the bowed heads. I overheard a prayer. When the men left, Dad announced that come Sunday night, he and Mother were going to be baptized. And as a 10-year-old, I was sure that I wanted to be immersed with them. And so it happened. The following Sunday night, my 38-year-old father my 36-year-old mother and their 10-year-old son, me, <laughs> said yes to Jesus Christ. And things changed. Jesus, as Savior and Lord, made all things new. And I'm telling you, his new way of working works. The rest of the story, well, a whole new branch was grafted into our family tree. My dad influenced his mother, my grandmother, and all three of his brothers, my uncles, to become Christians. My dad's change would directly impact the lives and eternal destinies of all four of his children, his 14 grandchildren, and his 32 great-grandchildren. 
And this is not to mention the many more who were blessed by his 40 years as a faithful elder and Bible teacher in two different churches in St. Joseph, Illinois and Chicago, Illinois. He was a faithful example to other dads that need to abandon their way of life that's not working to discover the joy and fulfillment of a new way of working as they intentionally and spiritually lead their families. On Father's Day weekend 12 years ago, we celebrated a very special Father's Day at Crossroads Christian Church in Evansville, Indiana. There were four Eidelman generations on the platform that day. There was my father and me and Kyle and his son. And before Kyle preached that day, my dad, who was in the last year of his life, played his guitar and sang a song that he considered to be his life theme. We tried to talk him out of it because his lungs were very weak. He didn't have much voice, pretty gravelly. He could still play the guitar well. But I remember he sat up on a stool in the middle of that stage in front of 13, 1400 people. And he played that guitar and he weakly sang these lyrics. I had nothing but heartaches and troubles. I was seeking for fortune and fame. I had nothing but doubts and confusion, but now I have everything. I was making big plans for my future. I was living my lifetime in vain. Then I prayed for life's only meaning, and now I have everything. I have everything I need to make me happy. I have Jesus to show me the way. He has saved me and he gave me life eternal. And now I have everything. And you do, Dad. Happy Father's Day. I'll see you soon. I would, um, I'd love just to take a moment here to have my dad pray over our fathers. So can I just ask all the dads in the room to, to stand, if you go ahead and stand where you are, and let's take a minute to honor them. And then um, I'd like to ask my dad to pray. Pray for us. Father God, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about you. And we're thankful that today we're thinking about you as a loving father. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us that way in your written word of the Bible and in the living word. The Lord Jesus who said, whoever's seen me has seen the father. Thank you for the fact that if we want to know who you are, what you're like, we only need to look as far as the gospel to look at Jesus. We worship you and celebrate you today. And we pray for every father in this assembly this morning and in the campuses around the area. We pray, Lord, that 
every young father would have wisdom beyond his years, to have the right priorities, to direct his family from the beginning in the paths of righteousness and truth. Pray for every aging father to maintain the fruit of the Spirit throughout their life. Pray that every man in our assemblies this morning would manifest the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, we, uh, we want to be spirit-filled, spirit-led men, not only for the sake of our own life and souls and destinies, but also for the sake of those that are nearest and dearest on earth to us. So help us to resolve with new determination to be your men, to rise up as men of God, to have done with lesser things, and to give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.